You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Arnowin, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Marcus Shin from Wire Barley. Hey, Marcus, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Thank you very much for coming. So, Marcus, why don't you tell people who may not be familiar with Wire Barley what it is you guys do, and then what do you do exactly for Wire Barley? Yeah, Wire Barley is a, a cross-border fund transfer company headquartered in South Korea. And we established in 2016, and we've been focusing on individual customers who just wants to transfer money from country to another country, targeting Asia first. So we are running operations in Korea, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Australia. And like two years ago, in 2019, we got into the US market. And next last year, we entered into Canada. And very recently, we started our business in the UK. So now we are serving both individual and business clients, and mostly for their cross with the fund transfer need. Yeah, that is, and it really is an incredible story. I know that we got familiar around the same time I was starting on at Currency Cloud is, is when we became familiar with one another. And what you guys have built, not only since 2016, and you know, you know, just rattled off all the different countries that you guys are active in, but just since we started, you've, you've already entered three different markets. So it really is, been, right. it's been incredible watching how fast that you guys grow. And it's actually kind of hard to keep up as a, almost as a, as a partner, just because you guys are being so active. And, and even today, as we talk, you know, we, you know, we were just discussing the different things that you guys are, are still building. So it really is exciting. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to highlight that all those three countries we've been with Curse Cloud. Yeah, absolutely. And so why don't we talk about that? So when you guys, you know, when you guys came to us at that point, you guys were already very established in, in Asia. And mm-hmm. when you guys came to the United States, what was that process like? Because I know it must have been unfamiliar territory for you guys, understanding the new regulatory landscape and and trying to build different partner relationships to support your, your product, which ultimately led you to Currency Cloud. But what was that process like? And, and why Currency Cloud of, of all the different payment service providers out there? Yeah, I mean, it was not a surprise for us. And when we see the US market, there was a this huge black box about the banking relationships with the regulations, compliance. So we need to find a way to get into the market in an efficient and effective manner. Actually, we've been uh, familiar with the name of Currency Cloud at the very beginning of our business in the year 2016, when we did our own research for the global expansion, the name just popped up. So your name was uh, in our mind for a while, and we, and we finally decided to, to get into the US market. I just a, a kind of made, made a cold call to one of your team using your website. So this, it, we just came out of the blue. Says, I believe you had a little to none information about why you're Bali at the time. So we knew that uh, you guys were expanding from Europe to, to the US and, and were making a, a visible progresses. So that was the very beginning of the, the process for us to just enter into this market. 
And since then, we were introduced to a banking partner by you guys. And after all this painful due diligence stops, uh, and we, we spent almost a year for that prep stage only. So finally, in, in August 2019, we successfully managed to launch our services in the U.S. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you said, you know, you were familiar with Currency Club because it's, it's almost like it's, a, it's not necessarily a household name to individuals, but when you talk to different fintechs and, 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 and when they're going for providers, they all seem to know Currency Club for, for uh, a different reason. And it's actually, you know, when you guys were coming in and you were trying to figure it out, I think what was useful is that Currency Cloud had to overcome a lot of the same obstacles right. as Wire Barley, um, being a European-based company that had to go into the United States, figure out how to become, you know, sponsored uh, by a regional bank in order to provide our, our services. And I think that those lessons that we learned is, is how we're able to pass that on to, to our customers. Yeah, I think that was the, the biggest benefit we've got from you guys, because we knew that you've been through pretty much same stuff, pretty much same things. So you knew all the pain points, so, and you knew the, how to work around it. Yeah, so through that experience, what do you think the hardest part of, of entering the United States was? And, and what would your advice be to a company, whether it's you know coming from Asia or Europe or, or Africa or anywhere, coming from outside yeah. of the US and and trying to, to launch their services for, for customers based here? Mm -hmm. Actually, that is one of the questions that I've asked frequently from, from all the, the other entrepreneurs in Asia. Of course, there are multiple ways for you to start the remittance business in the US. You can just do and build up on your own by yourself. And like ourselves, you can find the right partner and leverage what they have and just focus on what you are supposed to do or what you are good at. So of course, my recommendation is the letter to find the right partner and focus on what you're good at, especially in dealing with all the regulated, regulatory matters with licenses or the banking partnership. That is not something you can easily just done by yourself as an outsider. So when you just first get into this market, nobody knows about you and nobody really cares what you're doing in your own country or in your own reason, because you're kind of new to them and you have to prove yourself from scratch. And it is really painful and you have to spend a lot of resources and time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's definitely very difficult to go it alone. And I think that, you know, it's the point that you made about focusing on what you're good at and whatever you're not necessarily isn't your niche outsourcing to the proper partners. I think that's something that's true. You know, we see it at currency cloud. We see it with a lot of the, the other um, clients of ours. It's, I think it's important in the tech world where you have only have so much limited time and resources and mm -hmm. dedicating extra time to things that you're either unfamiliar with, you're not market experts in, or you don't have the technology developed could burn precious time and resources that prevent you from, reaching an audience where your services and your niche are required. And so by filling the gaps with other partners, that's the fastest way to market. And it's also like the, the most efficient, like the, whether yeah. it's, yeah, what, what, you know, the time that you would be saving and the expertise that you don't have to rely on your own um, is, you know, there's a, there's a large benefit to working with the right partners. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And especially 
when you are running a startup, time is everything. Time is everything. And so when you were looking at, you know, currency cloud, obvious, you know, we're obviously a great partner, but uh, when, you, when you look at other partners as well, and you mentioned, you know, RegTech and your sponsor banks and without necessarily naming them, what do you look at when you're, when you're looking at a good partner? Um, there's a lot of different options out there. So what would you recommend to an entrepreneur trying to launch a new business into the U.S.? What kinds of things do you look for in a good partner? Yeah, that is another tough part. So when you do your research to find out your, your vendors or the technology partner, I mean, the seemingly the features they can provide are almost exactly the same. So you have to, to find who can be your real supporter in, in a long run, especially, I mean, you, have, you will be facing a lot of unexpected issues or the hiccups, uh, which was not on your original plan. And the experience is the key. And the, the team of customer support, like team of yourself, the, the account manager or the customer support team who can help us to, to deal with all these unexpected issues on a regular basis. I think that should be the key. You cannot just be fantasized about the website, what they say on the websites, the features with their plans. This is a, a, a financial services and the downtime of your, your service is really critical. So, so when you decide a, a white partner, you have to just take into consideration of their experiences, their expertise, their reputations, and who are their customers. Yeah, I think you just nailed, you know, that's, that's exactly what we hear from, from other clients as well, whether they're talking about currency cloud or, or other partners of what's important to them is, is the level of support and guidance that you receive because uh -huh. there's one thing to have the same features as another as another provider or even you know some providers might do certain corridors for different currencies better than others there might be a slight pricing advantage but what it comes down to is you know if something goes wrong or if you need guidance are they going to be there when you when you call them are they going to be able to provide any expertise that you guys lack because those intangibles end up becoming the most important thing with your own customers when, you know, something goes wrong. Right. And um, I think the level of guidance is what has made currency cloud so successful. And especially, you know, in, in this partnership itself is we grew together. It was never necessarily a relationship that was transactional in that we're providing a service and, you know, that's it. And, you know, you guys use our, our currencies and and that's it. It was more about growing together and, and developing a mutually beneficial partnership where uh, we lean on each other for, for different market expertise. We might have questions for you guys for when we're launching in Asia and, and, and you guys have questions for us when you're launching in Europe. And I think those relationships are, are the most important. And it's, and it's not just for what we do, but you know, whether it's a sponsor bank or, or anything else. And in my previous you know, roles in different financial services companies, um, it's been the same. You know, that's just something that you really can't uh, put a price on as a level of support and expertise you receive from your partners. Absolutely. So moving on from the United States, because I know that's where, you know, we, we've been here for, you know, a couple of years and it's been going quite smoothly um, since 2019, as, as you mentioned. But I know that, you know, in the time that we've been working together, I've seen you guys launch in, in Canada, mm -hmm. as well as uh, Europe. So um, starting with Canada, you know, how has that journey been for you? And, and what's different in, you know, how is that experience different from launching 
in the United States, even though it's, you know, it's still North America, um, it's completely different regulatory um, environment and, you know, different banking partners and, and currencies that are important for those customers. So how is it different for you when you were launching in Canada? Yeah, um, there has been a lot of ups and downs when it comes to the, our Canadian business. It's mostly from the partners. So of course, I mean, and those two countries, U.S. and Canada, have different banking systems. We need we need to find out a, a another partner who can be dealing with the collection, the account funding side, that's collect money from our customers to initiate the transaction. I mean, we had some hard times in doing business with our original partner, so we decided to change a, a new partner, which is a more which is a bigger and more reliable financial institution. So that transition has been kind of painful. I mean, the, there were some, some visible and invisible losses uh, from that uh, transition period. And finally, we settled down with a, a new reliable partner. And of course, while the current cloud has been always within us for, for the rest part of the transactions. But we, I mean, their original plan was just Again, just focusing on our customers and what value propositions we're going to make to the customers, how actually make them use our services. But to deal with all these a, a processing a hiccups where the headwinds, we just a kind of wasted a, a significant amount of time at the beginning stage and got a very painful lessons. And then make the transition now finally settles down and we just the business is going fast at the pace that we originally expected. So again, I mean, pretty much same story. Finding a right partner is the key when you enter into a new market. And we've been making some successes and the failures as well. And there are a many lessons from them. Yeah, and, and that's that's how it seems to be time and time again when you know, not just in the case of Wire Barley, but other other companies, especially when it comes to Canada, is that it's very difficult at first to get your feet on the ground and to get the right partners and to get your minimum viable product. And, and just from funding, you know, just the basic of funding your account in local currency and local CAD is very difficult, uh, given yeah. the financial ecosystem in Canada um, and the regulatory environment there. It's very hard for money services businesses to operate. And the chargeback risk of debiting uh, makes it very difficult to find a good partner that will offer debiting services to top out your top up your account from your clients. So, you know, there, for a number of reasons, Canada is kind of a, a tricky one. Um, right. And, but it's great. I mean, and, and it's like, once you guys got up and running though, it's, it's been relatively smooth and, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, where you guys have, have come from and, and where you are now in, in Canada. For you guys, what in particular about Canada made it difficult? Was it just a, you know, unfamiliarity with the territory and trying to find the right people that can support the project? Or was it there anything particular about Canada's regulatory or financial uh, environment that made it a little bit more challenging? I think I think this is more about the uh, financial environment, like banking systems, the chargeback structure and different debiting systems. So, I mean, for us uh, at the beginning, the U.S. ACH system is a, a, a kind of big question mark, how we, whether we can fully understand how it works and, and what kind of 
the returns reverses will be happening in the future. So understanding that part was a big deal for us. We originally thought that the Canadian banking system is pretty much similar with that of US, but finally it turned out not to be so. So that was the, the, the biggest issues for us. Yeah, it's actually pretty surprising that, you know, a, com- a country like Canada would have such, you know, an archaic banking system that, <laughs> and I mean, like, for lack of a better term, and like, you know, what they're doing with whether it's, you know, e-transfer or Interact or, you know, the different payment routes, um, it's very confusing to an outsider. And I know that was something that I had to become very familiar with because we have a number of clients in Canada, but it was almost like we were speaking a different language when it was something as simple as how do you get money into the account? So I completely understand, you know, why that was, was a challenge for you. Just adding some more colors. We started from the EFT direct debit. We decided to move on to Interact push payment. There are multiple reasons for that, but the biggest issue was, I mean, the returns, the reverses is very unpredictable and we have to wait a a massive amount of time whether it will be turned into returns reverses or not. So there are some some long-term risks and very uh, unpredictable uncertainties as well. Right. They have a very long, I mean, I'm going to misquote it, but I think it's like 100 days chargeback risk on debiting in Canada where, you know, you can have a, a client debited, you can debit a client account, you can have an outgoing remittance on that same payment. And then 100 days later, you know, you can have that that debiting questioned. And now, you know, trying to manage that with the, you know, the beneficiary, the original person funding the account, that transaction, you know, that's just a nightmare. So with the just sending payments out via push is just so much safer in, in that respect from a, a risk standpoint. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So beyond Canada, because I mean, it's, there's almost so, like too much to cover because you guys have gone so many different places. Okay. But uh, beyond Canada, I know through Currency Cloud, you guys were able to launch in Europe and, and Great Britain. So, you know, what has that experience been like? And, you know, why is it that you chose to go with Currency Cloud rather than go out and, and try to become regulated on your own? you know, by the FCA in, in the UK and, and, and try to just go through those processes yourself. Yeah, I mean, well, we are well aware that there are a, a massive amount of potential customers in, in the Europe and UK. And as a startup, we have to be cautious when we make a decision to allocate a certain amount of resources to a new project or or new region. And from our own experiences in, in the US and Canada, I mean, it was not easy for us to, to open up an office where the, the set of an entity in the Europe and hire new employees there to just probe the opportunity for, for a longer period, enough period of time. It could be a six month, or it could be a year, but we didn't have a, a that much luxury for in terms of the resource allocations. So we were trying to figure out what would be, again, the most cost efficient and fastest way to get into the market. And again, as, as you may remember, I just called you guys and, and asked you a consultation. And I was wondering what kind of services you can offer for us for that purpose. And fortunately, uh, you came up with your OKYC, our KYC solution, which allows us to 
to launch service without all the licensing or regulatory issues doing by ourselves. So yeah, we were pretty much confident this is the best way for us to start business in that reason. Yeah, and, and it goes back to our, our point about choosing the right partners and knowing what you guys do best and, and trying to outsource in the interest of time and efficiency to, to other partners. So in this case, you know, you guys have a really you know, good looking platform. You had a good customer base that you guys could go after, but what you didn't have is the regulation. And so right. in, in order to go out and do that yourself, it would have taken a lot of money and a lot of time. And within that time, other competitors could have entered the market and acquired the same customers you guys are going after. There was a lot that could have happened in that time. So we're very fortunate that you guys also were having these discussions around the same time we were building our outsourced KYC product. And you know, for those unfamiliar, it basically just allows companies that are regulated in different jurisdictions outside of, you know, in this case, uh, Europe and the UK to use those existing KYC and AML procedures that they have in order to be regulated elsewhere to perform their own KYC in these jurisdictions without having Currency Cloud to also perform that KYC and do a double KYC. And so we're outsourcing the KYC procedures to you. However, you guys are leveraging our regulation in these countries in order to uh, launch your product. So. Um, it is really a remarkable thing that that we're able to do that, and you know I'm, I'm glad that you guys chose to. And, and and it's been I know it's been a process in order to to get everything aligned. I think the, one of the first things that we ran into was a lot of your procedures that we were reviewing were in Korean, so that was something just to <laughs> translate those. But uh, you know it, it is it, it also it does help that we are a European based company, and so all of the the timelines and currencies and and foreign exchange that we offer. Um, in Europe is, is really best in class. So I'm really glad that you guys chose to, to use Currency Cloud to, to launch. Yes, same here. I mean, I mean we had a, a zero worries about your capabilities in Europe because you were born there and you're known the, the best in class companies in Europe and UK. So all we had to care is uh, how our existing KYC and compliance systems can be a good match with your standard or European standard. And fortunately, uh, I mean, our experience in the US, because I mean, US is, is known for one of the most stringent compliance systems and regulations. Right. So we build a pretty robust compliance systems in the US. And that could be a largely applied to the Euro European standard as well. So yeah, we, absolutely. We, we could save a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why build everything over again when it's, it's just duplicating the work? And so you mentioned that there were a lot of customers in Europe and in the UK. Um, how did you guys do that market research? And I know that you guys were originally primarily focused on Korean individuals living abroad. Mm -hmm. um, is that the same market that you guys are going after in, in Europe or is it a little bit different from place to place? Uh, it is pretty much the same as Koreans. I mean, Asians, including Koreans, precisely. Because, I mean, these days, uh, of course, I mean, Korea is one of our biggest market in terms of the receiving amounts. So the transactions heading toward Korea is one of the biggest ones. But we are, we are serving a lot of Chinese, Thai, Vietnamese, Nepalese people as well, all over the world. So we are, we are looking at the pretty much same target customer segments with the, the similar ethnicities. And there are a lot of Asians living in Europe and UK, of course. 
Yeah, of course. And so in that time, how has it, how has it been since you've guys gotten started? I know it's still relatively recent since you've launched, mm-hmm. um, but you know, what does it look like for you guys, you know, now in, in your experience in Europe, but also looking towards the future over the next few years, what are you guys planning to, to do in, in Europe? Just continue to expand. Yeah. Uh, for uh, throughout this initial stage, I believe we are getting enough attentions from potential customers. There are uh, certain things that we want to do to further develop our products for better user interface and user experiences. So now we are more focusing on getting that job done, and it will take a, a month or two for us to just a, a for a new features of the product. Then we will be focusing on recruiting customers in that region. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, and just using your product, it, it really is such a simple thing that just makes it so much easier to send money. And I think that is like your, your, one of your main selling points is just the ease of use with your product and, and the lack of friction when you're just signing mm-hmm. on to make a payment. And, and we are the, the one of the fastest ways to send money from abroad to Asia, their home country in terms of the transaction processing speed. So around 60% of our transactions are being completed in an instant manner within within minutes. So we want to uh, maintain that the speed competitive advantages in European market as well. So that is uh, uh, what we are just mostly focusing on right now. Yeah, and and time and time again, whenever we we have our conversations, but also whenever I speak to other clients, you know, the two main things for them, and it really goes back to what their customers find important is speed and cost. And so I think that kind of speaks to why you guys have been successful is because your customer-focused approach on on what they care about is primarily speed. And so as long as you maintain that edge, um, you'll be able to keep and grow your customer base. And it's interesting because everybody now, especially in the age of you know peer-to-peer payment apps like you know Venmo, for a lot of the people in domestic in the U.S. are familiar with, and, and different apps, everybody expect, expects payments to settle instantly. But right. in, in reality, they're not familiar with the banking system and, and understanding, especially when it comes to international payments. In the back end, that's not exactly an instant settlement, and it's, it's not at all. Not at all. And so it's it's difficult to manage client expectations with the actual backend banking infrastructure that we're that we're kind of reliant on. Um, and I find that in international payments, especially, um, that's the biggest thing to to overcome is how to manage your clients' expectations when things don't settle in thirty seconds. Um, but from what you guys have built and and put together, it is amazing that you're able to settle those transactions faster than than anybody else in the market. Yeah, I mean, that at the very beginning of this company, that was our goal to, to make the cross-border transfer as fast as local transfers. Right. And, and, you know, so far so good. And a lot of that is just having local partners around the world. Yes. Um, right. And um, amazing. So now that you've, you know, we've, we've gone through your experience coming to the United States and to Canada and to Europe. What other kinds of, you know, beyond even just geographies um, that you guys are looking to expand into? And, and you mentioned different product enhancements and, and making your user experience even uh, more seamless and, and you know, and, and tuning it up and making it a, a better looking application. What are other features are you guys looking to develop to uh, either expand into different product areas or enhance existing features? Yeah, our next steps, I mean, uh, we are viewing two different things. One is 
the customer, and one is product. Uh, Product-wise, like we are basically a cross-border player. So what we are good at is dealing with transactions between countries. So what are the products can be added based on our core capabilities? Customer-wise, we are serving mostly immigrants with internationals. So what other financial needs they have, no matter is, is cross-border or domestic, what are the financial needs or what, what are the financial product can be added and offered to those existing or the potential customer base we have. So from those two perspectives, uh, now we are just focusing on a, a multiple expansion of the products, uh, such as a multi-currency cards, or the business transfers, or business receivables, and even neo banking in the U.S. Well, that's pretty amazing. So, neo banking—that one is particularly interesting. But when you say that you're looking to expand your offering for your existing individual customers, is that in the form of like the currencies that you guys are providing, and or are you guys just looking to expand? you know, beyond Asian currencies or expand the number of uh, currencies that you guys provide. And then um, I'd, I'll also, you know, as far as neobanking is concerned, I'd love to, l- to learn more about what you're doing in that, in that end, because that to me is like the most exciting part of the yeah. fintech industry right now. Right. One of the most dynamic parts in the industry right now. And for the first part of your question, um, of course, I mean, we, we will be expanding the currencies we are dealing with, but we are now more focusing on other services like, I mean, uh, when we see our, our customer base, mostly like Asian immigrants in the US, they also travel a lot. They travel, uh, they just uh, come and go back to their own country and they do make a, a travel around Europe or all the other countries. So the, our multi-currency card, which is backed by Visa, that we actually signed up on a contract with Visa, as a principal, global principal card issuer with, with them. So we are now entitled to issue our own wire valley prepaid card for our customers. So they can use that card for, for example, the e-commerce online shopping on the overseas website or overseas e-commerce platforms. And they can make the payments in, in other countries like Korea, Vietnam, using the local currency without international transaction fees. And that they can, of course, withdraw cash from local ATMs all over the world. So that's a, 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 one of the plan. Now we are working on it to, to diversify our product offerings to our existing customers. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, especially in the card space, it's one of the more difficult things to launch, but whether it's cost, time, efficiency, there's so much room for improvement in the experience, especially when it comes to international e-commerce. So I'm sure what you guys are building and, and, and what you guys have already established is, is really going to shake things up um, within that industry. And uh, of course, shouts out Visa, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> our friends there. Yeah. And so that, that's really great to hear. So as far as the neo-banking, um, I know, you know, the cards are, are, are part of that, but are you guys providing the same service? Like, what kinds of services are you guys going to be providing in that neobanking product launch? Is it going to just you know, be focused on outgoing remittances still? Are you guys going to be still focusing on uh, individuals? Or are you guys m- moving on to, uh, to businesses as well that have international needs? Yeah, but actually, this, I mean, our neobanking idea has 
a is not really related to our course for the Wavitons capabilities. This is more for the customers. Now, customers in the U.S., um, the immigrants were students, were the new to countries. So those a kind of underserved individuals, underserved by the existing big banking institutions, because they they have they feel certain barriers to just get into this financial system in this new country. So they have no a credit history, they have no credit score, and some of them wants to open a bank account, even landing at this country. And, and those are not cured by the existing a large banks. So our new banking services will be focusing on this a underserved segment, very specific segments, which can be a niche market for a big names but a big enough size of market from our perspective. So our new banking service will be targeting those segments and providing a, a very similar banking services you, they can use day-to-day -day basis. So based on the checking accounts, the checkout, debit card, of course, I mean, we will be adding the cross-border remittance capabilities, of course, and uh, how to serve a, a people with, lower credit score or the new to country without credit history at all, where the, the new students who, who wants to just build up their credit at the beginning, from the beginning. So this is more about their existing customer basis on field needs. Yeah, I actually really love that idea. And I guess that's something that you must have learned from working with your customers and understanding their problems uh, beyond just remittances. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's just, you know, I love to hear that because it's also just, you know, not to sound corny, but it is what fintech's all about is, is filling the gaps that people that are underserving existing banking infrastructure, what they need. And so people that are living, coming in from abroad that might, you know, have um, great credit in their home countries and, you know, you know, enough, you know, are a good partner in order to, you know, receive a loan, but because of their lack of credit in the United States, they might not be able to have a loan to, you know, start their business or raise capital. So I think that's a, that's a really great idea. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of my own experiences as well. Yeah. And which is crazy to think that like, you know, knowing you and, and, you know, it's almost like you're a secret agent, some of your stories and all the crazy <laughs> things that you've done all over the world and, you know, launching um, a successful company all over the world to imagine that you can go into a, an American bank and get hassled because of a lack of, yeah, um, exactly. you know, financial data is just kind of um, mind boggling. That's amazing. So I know that we, we, you know, we focus in on your individual customers, but I know that you do have a business product or a, a product that's, that's specific to um, your B2B market that, I believe was focused originally in, in Asia, starting in Australia. Is that something that you're looking to expand worldwide? Yeah, sure. I mean, as you just mentioned, we started this uh, B2B transfer services in Australia uh, almost a year ago. And we did the same in the US starting from a second quarter this year. And of course, now we are gaining grounds in that market, targeting uh, mostly the same a. Uh, a segment like Asian small to medium business owners who has who have a international businesses. And what we felt for for the past one year is I mean, there are a bigger inefficiencies and and underserved criteria in terms of the receivables rather than payables. 
because um, I mean, these days, um, the, the legacy banks, based on the SWIFT system, they provide a, a, a good services to, especially to the big enterprises. Uh, it is getting more, it is getting faster, more transparent and more predictability. So it, it is not easy for us to directly compete with the legacy banks when it comes to the business clients. Because business clients, because they do have other businesses with the bank, which, which, which bank can uh, make profits from. A lot of our, uh, our potential with the existing customers are being waived for the fees. So which is, could be a, a, one of the biggest a competitive edge for the fintechs. But in reality, I mean, the existing banking services are pretty much a, a well taking care of the business client's payment side. But on the receivable side, I mean, there are a huge opportunities, we believe, because a, when, when a small, medium-sized companies have receivables from all the overseas business partners. There, there are no, there, there's very small room for, for technical innovation on the banking side, but they still a, a rely on the legacy SWIFT system, which costs a, a fees and takes time to, and less innovative on the payment side. So now we are focusing on what kind of services on the receivable side we can offer to our customers, our business customers. And that is why we recently started conversation about your Spark. Yeah, and I, I know that's something that you know you and I are, are working on together. And you know, I hope I hope that you do utilize our, our expertise in this area. It's something that we honestly the exact same, exact same problem we're looking to solve with when, when we launched Spark and and for those who don't know, Spark is our collection services product. And it's not only focusing on the businesses itself's need. So in the case where a company based in the US is invoicing a partner of theirs in, in China, and they want the, you know, the Chinese company does not have USD available. And so they want to send CN, CNY over to the US. It allows them to send over local currency, receive in local currency, and for the United States business to also potentially manage their, you know, their treasury operations in, in foreign currencies for potential payouts that they have to make it much more efficient. And so overcoming that hurdle is it's been a journey for, for ourselves developing the product, but also seeing like how much it means to, to our customers has been, has been a crazy thing. So it's not only for those customers that are, are operating, you know, their direct operations, but I think, you know, the, one of the bigger opportunities within that market that I've seen is our customers' customers, because it's one thing to be able to receive money on behalf of yourselves, but if you have customers, so in your case, it would be Wire Barley, working with different, different business customers in your B2B space, allowing them to process their transactions through Wire Barley without having to establish their own, you know, banking relationships and understand, you know, how that international receivable market like works and, and being able to rely on you guys is, is really going to be, be special. And I think that we're going to see a lot of, of, uh, of disruption in, in that area, not just in, in wire barley, but um, throughout the FinTech space. Yeah, exactly. And, and it is almost virtually possible for a small, medium businesses to deal with the overseas banking account, even opening a bank account in the U.S. for a Korean company, I mean, it, it is a impossible from their perspective. 
but it is very possible if we can work with them using that system. Exactly. You know, if you if if they're already using wire barley, especially if they're using them for for international payouts, um, to not have to navigate the international receivables on their own um, is is going to be a real game changer for them. I think at this point, a lot of businesses, especially in the United States, just toss their hands up and they, they're just like, all right, well, I'll operate in strictly USD, which ends up driving up their costs somewhere along the journey or that of their uh, their partners and, and ends up being a, um, a difficult process for everybody involved. So what you're going to be building with, um, you know, with your receivables product, I think will be extremely successful. And I think that'll be one of the main selling points um, for the businesses that you're working on is is um, being able to support both international payouts and pay in. Because as we've seen, well, it doesn't really matter what size your business is, whether it's you know an international corporation or, or just a mom and pop at this point, to some degree, your business is gonna be relying on international uh, suppliers or international clients. And being able to manage your treasury in different currencies is gonna be critical for keeping your costs down and your operations as efficient as possible. Yeah, and on top of that, you can consider some individuals with the freelancers. I mean, given the the, the emerging volume of cross-border e-commerce activities, I mean, a lot of people in Asia were in. They are selling products in overseas e-commerce platforms like Amazon or Shopify, and they need a bank account to collect the proceeds of the sales. So we can just expand the target customer segments as much as possible when we can provide this overseas a collection capabilities to, to the companies, with the individuals who are doing business across the globe. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility for, for what, what you guys can do with this product once it's built. And that's one of the cool things about working with payments is that it really is, you know, you're just facilitating a payment that's very flexible. That can be for, for anything. So whether it's freelancers, small businesses, just somebody that wants to send money back home for the holidays or something, it really is uh, very flexible. So once you build a strong technological infrastructure, you can really apply that um, in a a myriad of ways. Um, And so I think once you guys are, uh, you know, once you guys do create that, that collections product, I I can see so many different ways it can be applied for your, for your different customers. Yep. hundred percent. All right, Marcus. Well, you know, this has been a lot of fun for those who are looking to learn more about wire barley or, or potentially work with you guys. Um, is there anything that you guys wanted to give a shout out to, or, you know, just reference your website or anything that you would recommend, uh, looking at if they wanted to learn more about wire barley? First of all, I mean, we are open to any kind of business opportunities with the conversations from potential partners. So you can just hit our website and you can find the right channel to speak with for whatever business opportunities you can bring up with us. Just just feel free to reach out to us for we are pretty much open for that. Amazing. And I mean that's how like you said that's how we got started, right? You just went on our website. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, amazing. Well well thanks a lot Marcus. I really appreciate you coming on and you know it, it's been amazing working with you guys over the last few years and and just watching the rocket ship that is Wire Barley expand to all these different countries and and um, different verticals. And I'm looking forward to continue to work with you guys and, and you know see what you guys are building in the future. Yeah, likewise. Always a pleasure speaking with you. All right, thanks a lot, Marcus. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.